This is the Negotiate X podcast, show number 50, part B. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on the NegotiateX podcast. Uh, we are continuing our conversation with Sarah Lashiver, a leading authority on the challenges women face in the workplace and co-author of Women Don't Ask, Negotiation and the Gender Divide. If you haven't already checked out part A of this episode, please be sure to do that first. Now let's continue the conversation with Sarah. Sarah, as we sit here in 2022, thoughts about how I guess, if at all, the post-pandemic economy is changing anything about how women should be approaching negotiating? Well, positives and negatives. The positives are the difficulty so many organizations are having in finding trained professionals to take the jobs that they hosting uh, puts women in a great position because women have been getting more college degrees, more advanced degrees, almost at a rate of two to one compared to men for a couple of decades now. So women actually make up a very rich part of that talent pool, which has largely been underused or untapped. So coming in saying, you know, I can do this. I, I have this experience and you need it. That's very powerful. Then of course, employees in general, men and women are just in a stronger position now than they were before the pandemic for those reasons. Now, the difficulties are one, a lot of women are like a lot of men, a lot of you know, people are negotiating from home. And if women have children, that becomes more difficult. It becomes a little more difficult to present a professional base that is uninterrupted. Uh, but also their organizations, knowing they have children, may assume that they're not bringing their full engagement, their full attention to the job, even though that's not true. That's actually something that even women who work in the office all the time, once women have children, there is this assumption that they are not as committed to the job as they were before, even though there's no data to support that. And I actually have a friend who says, I will hire a mother in a minute because boy, they will focus when they're at the office, when they are working, they are so efficient at multitasking and switching between one thing or another. Mothers are the most productive people I can find. So. That is an advantage if uh, people appreciate it. Then there's the other challenges of negotiating virtually. An important piece of any negotiation is building trust, connecting personally, building rapport, and particularly with people you don't know at all or you don't have a great relationship with, connecting over virtual media is more difficult. It's best if you're doing it with some video conferencing software like Zoom or Microsoft meetings, whatever. If you don't know the person or the relationship isn't great, doing it over email or text or on the phone makes all those problems a little harder. And then there's just the basic issue that a lot of people have, but women more than men, which is being distracted by their own image. 
oh my god the bags under my eyes is that you know whatever did my neck you know are you talking about me sorry (laughs) (laughs) and that distraction you know it's basically adding to your cognitive load when you're trying to negotiate it's you're not you're not able to be quite as centered and focused because of that so whatever these virtual media have made a lot of things possible that were would not be possible in these circumstances but there is a downside as well yeah i really appreciate that and nolan i if it's okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna build kind of build on uh what sarvich is saying here and just that challenge around the different technologies always think of email as being such a great tool that then gets overused it's it's great in the sense that maybe i can i can go back and I can wordsmith and see what I'm saying and really think about how I frame things and provide enough information. But, but as you're saying, so difficult to convey maybe passion and commitment. And so there just seems like there are challenges and it's about knowing when to use them and when to try to make that face-to-face happen, even in 2022. Well, another challenge is, and I'm a writer, so I'm totally prey to this, is you write this perfectly, you know, it's so well expressed, detailed, all organized, um, but you put out your whole proposal in this mm-hmm. one email and they don't like one thing in that proposal and they reject the whole thing. They say, no, I'm not doing mm-hmm. it. Whereas if you do it in real time, either over the phone or ideally using some kind of video conferencing or in the same room, which is best of all, you can you know, start with something you think will be easy for them to say yes to. And once they've said yes to one thing, they're more likely to want to reach a final agreement they're going to keep going and also if you ask for something and they're like oh no they push back a little then you can say okay let's put a pin on in that or let's set that aside and go to something that's easier for them to say yes so you can essentially phase the negotiation based on what's going on between you and the other negotiator and if you are doing it over email on the one hand you can pause you can reflect on their response which is harder to do virtually in, you know, in real time, right. but it, you also risk that they will misinterpret what you say because language, you know, black letters on a white screen, whatever, the nuance can be lost. Uh, sure. The emphasis of, you know, voice or intonation is lost. Thanks. That's wonderful insight. So, Sara, I wanted to kind of ask you a question here and, and hopefully I don't put you on the spot too bad, but what is the most controversial advice that you give to women or or anything like that that you've done yourself okay so the thing that women often don't like and i always preface this by saying i hear you i agree it's stupid but research is very clear that in order to be persuasive or influential women need to come off as likable so if you can use your social skills if you can not seem to be coming on too strong so you know, knock on the door, is this a good time? Walk in, smile, make warm eye contact, shake hands, use relaxed, open body language. That will hopefully calm the other person and it will prevent them from responding, oh, she's coming on too strong, oh, I feel threatened, oh, you know, whatever, she's violating our norms for women's behavior. Now, women will say that's a big step backwards. That seems like, you know, like a really not not feminist approach to this. And I agree, it is an extra burden on women to worry so much about the response of the other person, again, adding to their cognitive load while they're in the midst of this negotiation. 
and it's dumb. Women ought to be able to make a strong argument and the other person ought to be able to hear it. But when it's a woman who is perceived to be a little bit too aggressive, it's much harder for the other person, male or female, to simply evaluate the justice of what they're asking for, to hear what they're saying objectively. So kind of tying into what you were saying a little bit earlier, I will say if you can go a little easy on the interpersonal dynamics, that will enable you to aim a little higher, go a few more rounds and come out with a better agreement. It'll also just make the interaction more pleasant. Now, if a woman does feel like that's a big step backwards, she doesn't want to do it, I, I respect that, truly I do. And I have had uh, experiences where I put this advice out there in a talk or a, a workshop and I preface it by saying, you know, I hear you if you don't want to do it, but I'll still get a very negative reaction from certain people. And I just put it out there for your consideration, for any woman's consideration as a strategy or a tactic rather than a subject. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. You were talking about norms for women's behavior. I mean, some of these are societal and now they've kind of built into corporate cultures, right? You're talking about earlier kind of male-dominated industries and, and companies. I'd love if you could talk to a little bit the costs to obviously to individuals, but to organizations. And maybe I don't know if it's turnover or talent retention or even attainment through recruitment, as well as certainly personal advancement. But can you talk to the organizational level when when organizations continue to kind of stay in this rut and don't address these issues that we're talking about today, what do you see as being just the immediate and long-term costs? Okay, great question. So women make up about 50% of the workforce now and a big percentage of the educated workforce. So if organizations are underutilizing their talents because women feel it's risky to negotiate for themselves, or they see men who are equally qualified, less qualified, being offered opportunities, or those men feel like they can ask for those opportunities and the people managing them aren't paying attention to who is most qualified. They're not making sure that anybody who's interested knows that it's okay to you know, put their hat in the ring, raise their hand they will be underutilizing half their workforce. They will not be making the most of their talents and potential. And that is bad management. One of the biggest resources most organizations have is their, are their human resources, their people. And if they're underutilizing them, then they are not gonna be as productive. And there are good studies that can trace this from, you know, whatever, under, underused women to the bottom line, and it can cost millions of dollars. So there's that. And then there um, is attrition. And one study showed that to replace a woman who leaves costs about 150% of her annual salary. So it's not just, you know, the time a search takes, but the decline or the dip in productivity while that job is empty and the resources that are going to be tied up in searching for the right person when you had a great promising, talented person right there that you let go. So that's a big cost. And then, you know, studies show that more diverse leadership teams, when there are more women on boards, when there are more women in those top roles, actually make more decisions. That's also true of people from other identity groups. If there are more people of color in those top roles, more people from different backgrounds, they make better decisions. So 
not allowing, not helping women get up to those, up into those senior roles is costly in that way as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, what you were saying earlier about the strengths that women inherently bring to the the table, right? The collaborative approach, the problem solving, the active listening, relationship development. I mean, <laughs> you take that out of the room, you're not you're not left with a lot of good stuff. <laughs> right. Those are kind of important qualities. Yeah. So Sara, thank you so much for that. So what can organizations do intentionally to make sure that, you know, women are able to be more successful in negotiation outcomes? There's a lot that organizations can do. And I always like to say, this isn't really a women's problem. This is a social problem. It's an organizational problem. And it cannot be fixed just by women raising their hands a little bit more often. I do think women need to be equipped with these skills and understand the dynamics in the workforce. But, you know, I can help one woman at a time kind of improve her situation, get ahead. But we're not going to get wholesale change until organizations take the lead. So number one, detailed, specific evaluation systems that are transparent and applied equally to everybody. So try to get subjective judgments out of the decision-making about who gets promoted, who gets offered particular opportunities. Uh, there are studies that show that even people who do not think, men and women, who don't think they have any problems, any uh, biases about women in the workplace, when presented with identical work products, but one has a male name and the other has a female name, they will evaluate the one with the female name as whatever, inferior to that by somebody you know with a male name. When men and women apply for jobs, Men's CVs are taken more seriously, rated more highly than women's. Uh, when people recommend women for other positions within the organization, they use more muted, modified descriptors in supporting them, recommending them. They use more superlatives when they talk about men. So the evaluation system is really important to try to get those subjective biases, which are often unconscious. It's not that people are trying to discriminate against women. We all are the products of the noise of the culture that we have grown up in. So there's that. Then there is also, I know you said you want to direct this to some degree at middle managers. A lot of women seem to get stuck at that middle management level. So even if the top boss is saying, we want women to get ahead, we want more opportunities for women, somehow the guys in the middle don't get that message or haven't been mentored or trained to be more open to that. So there are the mentoring, the training is important. The other thing that works really well is to attach managers' evaluations, their performance evaluations to how well the women they supervise move ahead, how well they're doing. And certain organizations have done this where they not only say your performance evaluations are going to be tied to how the women or minorities you supervise get ahead, but we are yeah. going to publish it quarterly. So all your competitors in this organization, you know, the people at your level or the people who are potentially maybe going to give you some opportunities, throw some good stuff your way, they're going to know you're not doing as well. And people are really competitive. So if you know just that the guy in the you know next office down or around at the other wing is doing this better than you are, you're going to get busy. A, a lot of people get really busy. 
Yeah, I love that feedback in that it's really process focused. And so these are things organizations really can take to heart and affect. I had to share. So as you talked about your first one, we are neighbors. When I lived in Colorado before I retired from the army, our neighbors, uh, both husband and wife were both professionals. When they had children, they had two daughters. They intentionally gave them names that are were gender neutral. And the intention there was that at it, looking at a resume, you would not be able to determine whether that was a male or female. And therefore they thought that would serve their, their daughters better professionally. It was just interesting. Is there a way to do blind evaluations? I know in the army at one point too, we saw photos of people were affecting. They, they could tie. So being able to see someone was affecting promotion rates. So they started to take that away. Is there a role for somehow making this more blind? So those, some of those implicit biases don't come into effect. Definitely. So there's a very famous study. It was done, I think in the late sixties or the early seventies, when somebody noticed that most orchestras, most symphony orchestras had almost all men. And they thought, well, that must be because the men are more talented. We are, you know, very good. <laughs> Our ears, we're connoisseurs of this music. We can tell the difference. And we just, you know, we're discriminating and whatever the men are better. Um, Let's not put that to the test, by the way, with us, because we're, we're going we're gonna to fail miserably. So, so then what the, the experiment was, they put down carpets so you couldn't tell if the person was wearing heels. And they had people audition behind a screen. So you couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman playing the violin or playing, playing the piano, whatever the instrument was. And the number of women that got into symphony orchestras increased by 50% immediately when all they were doing was listening to the music and not thinking about who it was, suddenly their incredibly perceptive, discriminating connoisseurship looked like it wasn't quite all they thought it was. Amazing. Hey, Sarah, so now I kind of want to talk about a recent negotiation and maybe you could talk about a successful one that, that we can help kind of inspire the leaders that listen to this podcast. Absolutely. I have a great one. I'm so excited and pleased about it. I want everybody to know. So I went on vacation to South Africa in June and, you know, flights that far, super expensive. And I had a lot of frequent flyer miles. And so I got my tickets with frequent flyer miles and I had enough miles to get the, the longest leg, which was Amsterdam to Cape Town in business class, which for nice. a really long flight, you know, makes a difference. But for the flight back, I didn't have enough miles. And, you know, there were all these stories. There still are all these stories about, you know, what's going on in airports and flights delayed and all that. And I was like, I really want this to be a better experience. And so I called up Delta and I think I got a, somebody with a little authority or maybe she just was great at her job. And I said, is there any way you can get me into business class? You know, I've had you platinum american express card I, I have this medallion status i have never used my companion tickets i you know laid it all out there could you get me into business class south africa amsterdam and she looked and she looked and she said well you know would you be willing to go through atlanta instead uh so you could do johannesburg i was actually flying from johannesburg on the way to johannesburg atlanta and then atlanta jfk I said, if you can put me in business class, Johannesburg, Atlanta, sign me up. <laughs> and I didn't have to throw in any more miles. She just worked it out because I asked. 
Wow. Nice. That is a great win. That's yeah. probably one of the better ones that we've heard recently. So thank you. <laughs> that is great. Now I get to ask the flip side, which is as you look back on your professional career and your personal life, is there a negotiation failure? Maybe just one you wish you could do over if you had the chance that you can share that our listeners might learn from. We softened you up with the success first. And then we come with the harder one. Yes, 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 yes. So here's one that was very, very early in my career when I was fairly inexperienced. I hadn't really paid much attention to the negotiation issue. And I worked for an organization where I had really turned around a division that was not doing so great and increased their, their sales, you know, uh, whatever the performance targets were. And then it came to be raise time and they gave me the same merit increase that they gave everybody else. I mean, not merit increase. Sorry. Then it was time for raises and they gave me the same cost of living raise that they gave everybody else. And it was a long time ago and it was not a big raise. And they didn't even round it up to the next biggish number. And I felt really insulted and I felt, you know, unappreciated and I got, you know, I was really like irritated and frustrated. And I went and I said, you could at least have rounded it up. So they rounded it up, <laughs> you know, so it's like 200 bucks, you know? So a couple of lessons there. One is don't go in mad. If you feel frustrated and angry, try to calm down. If you go in angry, you're not going to do as good a job. And the other thing is think hard about what it is you're going to ask for. Don't ask for something measly that's easy for them to give. And in general, if it's easy for them to give whatever you're asking for, you probably weren't asking for enough. But, you know, be a little bit more intentional about it. Do your research and don't go in angry. Uh, that's some, some great insights there. And, and so as we get ready to start trying to wrap up this podcast, is there anything that we didn't ask you, Sarah, that you would love to share for our listeners? I really want to emphasize the importance of research and role playing. Those would be the two things I think make the biggest difference. Go in really well prepared. And one other thing you can do is after you've done all your research, bring it with you. You know, if you assume that everybody has seen this write up about you in the paper and how great your division is doing, or you've gotten a paper published in an important journal, or your evaluations were fantastic. Don't assume the other person knows. Bring it with you. Bring the journal. Bring the newspaper. Bring the printout, whatever. You may not need to use it, but if you do, you'll have it. But even if you don't use it, you'll have this pile. Boy, I have accomplished a lot. Look at me. And that'll be good for your yeah, Thank you so much for sharing that. Before I kick it over to Aram, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We really appreciate all your in insights, and hopefully it is equally powerful for all of our listeners so thank you, Sarah, for that. It's been my pleasure. All right, Aram, love to kick it over to you and get your takeaways from today's episode. Yeah, Sarah really hit the the key one, uh, or I think around research and role playing. I, I thought in that section too, what you talked about, kind of the behavioral piece, and and what I need to do to kind of manage myself was was very helpful, as well as not being surprised by the emotion if we role play well, then we've already dealt with it. I think that's that's really helpful. I also want to just reemphasize the challenge to those that are listening. If you're part of an organization, let's take this problem on. 
right? Let's let's not uh, pretend like it doesn't exist. So how how we think about evaluation systems, how we link the evaluations of our mid-level managers to promotion and success rates of our uh, of uh, different identity groups, um, specifically women in this case, but others as well. Let's really make that not only a part of training, but also part of how we evaluate others. We get more of what we talk about. And so if we talk about the direction we want to go, we're going to see more of that. We, we, we should always inspect, right? The army language was we should inspect what we expect. Uh, and so let's make this part of our, our evaluation. But Sara, thank you so much. Great insights, great advice today. And uh, just, you know, lovely getting to spend some time with you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for shedding some light on this particular aspect of the negotiation challenge. All right, so wrapping this thing up, make sure everyone, please go get your copy of Women Don't Ask, Negotiation and the Gender Divide. This is my next book that, I, that I've got to read. It's on the agenda. And ask for it. And, yep, and ask for it. So thank you so much for joining us on the Negotiate X podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.